Hey, Ms. Yumi Peterson, are you on? I am. Yay, finally, we're here talking. Sorry it took us a couple tries, but here we are, and I'm so excited. Yay, I'm so, so excited that we were able to reconnect. Yeah, so hey, for the folks listening to this, we're having some audio issues, but we've, we've figured it out because Yumi's in tech, and she will figure it out. I'm in tech, and I don't know tech, so... <laughs> <laughs> biggest misconception of, of, of the techies. But Yumi, let's talk about how how we met, how we got connected. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to one of my mentors from work and I was letting her know that I started recording some videos to grow my brand, my personal brand on LinkedIn. And one of my goals was to create some content and to put it on there. So as I was recording myself and I was listening to all the audio, I started to get really hung up on on how I was saying certain words, I just never really paused to listen to myself saying those things. And they started to really bother me. And I kept editing and editing and editing. And she was like, well, that's, that's odd to me, because when I'm talking to you, like, I never noticed these things. Why does that bother you so much? And it really made me pause. And I was like, I don't even know. I'm not sure where that comes from. But just the fact that I sound differently and I think that I sound was really bothering me and was making me feel really insecure about the content that I was putting out there. And she was like, you know, there's this person that I said, I heard her speaking at, at a main stage when I was at Adobe and she spoke a little bit about her cultural experience coming into like being an immigrant and having those language challenges and how that really impacted her growth and her story around it. I wonder if you guys would have some kind of commonality. And that's where she introduced me to you over LinkedIn and say, hey, you may meet Martha. You're like, yeah, sure, let's get together. And I remember you and I got together for the first time and we were just like finishing each other's sentences, right? We're like, yes, and, and this is the way I feel like, yeah, I read the same thing. So I feel like there was a lot of a commonality there in the fact that we both come from an immigrant family and we really went through the hardship of learning a language that was not our own. And, and I think there was a lot of things that we were able to really connect to uh, in terms of the things that we have to go through to get to where we are today. And then we realize that there's got to be a larger population of people out there who can really relate with us um, on this topic, who maybe have similar struggles as they were acclimating to a new culture, regardless of when they came to the U.S. And so I think that was one thing that really brought us together and, and why we're meeting on a second call today. Okay, so shout out to Katie Engel. What up, Katie? Yes. Hey. <laughs> So she connected us. I worked with Katie for a lot of years at, at, at Adobe, and now she's over with you, right? And, you know, Katie's just one of those people that just connects. Just She's a connector, yes. and I love her. You know, one of the things that I'm realizing now in our connections, okay, so first of all, you're from Korea. Yeah. And I'm from Mexico. But we're yes. still finding these commonalities. So I'm realizing also, like, in that, speech or whatever she was talking about, you know, I'm talking about like my immigrant story from Mexico, but it's not necessarily about that. It's about the obstacles behind it. If we just kind of, and that's what's connecting us are those obstacles. And I, I agree that there is definitely something that is built into us that allows us to, or that stops us from being comfortable with what we're saying. I mean, I was, I don't know about you, you mean, I've been uncomfortable with speaking for four decades. 
decades. And I would second guess how I say things, you know, because sometimes I think in Spanish or sometimes the words don't come out. And I was just so, anyways, uncomfortable with doing certain things. Mm -hmm. I wanted to. I wanted to. But like, you know, like you, sometimes nobody else sees it but us. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like we are our own worst critics in some cases. And whether I was doing it, I definitely wasn't doing consciously. And I really got thinking when Katie was challenging that, it's like, you know, you mean it's funny because nobody else hears it but you, but why is this so bothersome for you? And it really brought me back to how learning English for me was a very traumatic experience. My family, when I was eight, my mom literally one day was like, we're moving to America next week. So we were in Korea one day and we were in America the next week. And in two days, they plugged me into school. And when I went to school, obviously, I didn't, I didn't even know my ABCs or anything. And I got plugged into second grade. And I was totally dependent on a student who was bilingual at the time. And actually, she was, I was born in Korea, but I went to a Taiwanese school in Korea because my father is Taiwanese. And so in Korea, I was bilingual in Taiwanese and Korean. And when I came to the States, there were no other Korean kids in the class at the time. So my translator was actually, she was Taiwanese. And until summer break, she was my translator. And over the summer, I was so traumatized with that whole experience that I taught myself English over the summer. I watched all kinds of like like American shows, American radio. I just studied the dictionary. I, I still have the notebooks from those days where I would just like learn one word at a day and try to like put, put it into sentences and then learn the definitions. And over the course of the summer, I learned the basics of the language. When I came back, to school after the summer, I couldn't communicate with my Taiwanese translator anymore because in my brain, it swapped Taiwanese with English. And she was talking to me in Taiwanese and I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot understand what you're telling me. She's like, what the heck happened to you? Um, But I was able to speak English well enough so that I can communicate. And it was survival for me, like learning that language. It wasn't like a leisurely activity over the summer, just taking my time learning it. It was that sense of responsibility, knowing that nobody in my family spoke English. And I think the 80 year old me was, was thinking like fast ahead to think like, okay, well, what are we going to have? What's going to happen if nobody can represent our family and we don't know what's going on? Like, how are you going to live and survive here? And I think I just went into that traumatic like panic mode and just pushed myself to the edge as best I can to to have a voice for my family, really. And that is a really big responsibility and a burden for an 80-year-old to carry. Now, I mean, we were just in survival mode, so I didn't like sit down and think about that whole process. And I didn't think I would need like therapy over it or anything like that. But I think years and years and years later, I come to a moment like this and I'm thinking, why does it bother me so much that I can't say the word important the right way? Or it's just, I'm just saying it wrong and I can't even figure out how to fix it. Like little things like that. Like, why does it matter so much to me? And I think it goes back to that level of, I think, burden and the level of responsibility I put on my own shoulders during that young age. Yeah. Just, you just made me think about a time when, you know, I was also, you know, five or six years old and um, I didn't know English either. And so I, I had a a big need to try to fit in. Like, I didn't want to be the one that doesn't speak English in the classroom. (laughs) That just bothered me much. (laughs) Well, there's just so much shame, even at that age, I felt so much shame. 
when the teacher will write the homework on the, I, I vividly remember the teacher will write the homework on the chalkboard and I would, I didn't know what else to do. So I would just copy it in my notebook. And I thought the homework was to just copy that over another time. So when my homework checkup time came, I just showed her how I wrote down the homework that was on the chalkboard again. And she's like, that wasn't the homework. And I just felt like the whole class was just looking at me and thinking like, oh, you know, what is she going to do? And I think in that moment, there was just so much shame that I felt like I could never measure up, like I could never, you know, be a part and I can never really do that. And I think that really pushed me to overcome it. Like I had to beat it. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And you did over the summer, over cartoons and whatever else you were reading. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I I absolutely did. I started in second grade, the summer of second grade. And by fifth grade, I was in the advanced classes. And in fifth grade, in fact, I won a uh, poetry contest um, about what we want to be when we grow up. And we were writing like we all made like little books. And I ended up winning first first prize on this book that I made and illustrated with a friend and it got published and I displayed at the public library. And so by fifth grade, I really started to, to, sh- to shape up in, in those skill sets. It was definitely a rough ride to get there. But, you know, also you did it, you know, when you're young, I mean, we are sponges, right? And this is obvious, like it happened to you, happened to me, like over a course of months, we can learn a whole language if we're really motivated to. Mm-hmm. I mean, our motivation was survival. We didn't want to be ashamed. We didn't want to be made, made fun of. Yeah. And we didn't want our families to suffer. We, I wanted to make sure that my family would have a representation, that we would have a voice. At that age of eight, I was the one making all of the phone calls to the, the phone company, the electric company, the, uh, the rent, the mortgage department um, of the apartment building that we lived in. I was the one that had to get on the phone call and ask about you know, certain charges or late fees or explain why we couldn't pay a certain bill on time. You know, that's a lot for a eight to 10 year old to have to, to communicate, right? And then the fear was, if I said something wrong, what would that do to my family? Like, what if I said something wrong and, and then they ended up finding us more or, or they cut our lines or something like that? And there are just certain things that I spoke English, but there were things vocabulary-wise I couldn't translate fully, you know? And so then they will talk to me and I, and I hear it and I can kind of make sense of it, but then abstractly, I couldn't really put it together. So then there's like this panic of like, I don't know how to explain. I don't know how to translate this, you know, the other way. I, I think that you were telling a story about how you were doing like very literal translation and something about a chicken. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I don't know if you can see me. My smells like from ear to ear. Yeah. I'm thinking about the chicken story. So I yeah. had to trans, well, was the family translator. I was the oldest. And there's a certain responsibility that comes with being the oldest or the only or whatever. Yeah. So I, we had chicken pox and we went to a doctor. And, you know, of course, there we are being the translators. And I was five or right. six at the time and says, you know, tell your mom you have chicken pox. And I was like, oh, my God, how the heck do you say chicken? And I literally translated it, you know, like a chicken, like, you know, with the wings, like, like, bark, bark, bark. <laughs> my mom's like, what? You guys have feathers? <laughs> Wait, you turned into a bird? What's going on? You have to eat a chicken? 
changed the whole game. I mean, I don't have that vocabulary. I don't know medical terms, right? We didn't yeah. know any financial terms or, uh, you know, I'm yes. going with, with my parents to the tax people, you know, the people who do the tax. Oh my God, that's the worst. I still, I still have such yeah. a hard time with taxes sometimes. It's really stressful because I had to do that at such a young age where I couldn't fully understand the process, but I still had to figure it out, you know? Yeah. Thank goodness for tribal tax. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I literally like went to my mom's house the other day and she knows a little English. Okay. But she still, imagine if we're uncomfortable with English, imagine how like your parents feel. Right. So she oh, yeah. me over, like a document, a tax document. And I'm like, Oh no, you know, God forbid I tell her the wrong thing. Cause that's not my fortune. Mm-hmm. I literally am just like a translator. I'm not, I'm not an expert in this area, right? But that's yeah. possibility. The next thing you know, you're like the neighborhood translator. Then, you know, my mom would be like, hey, can you read this person's paper? And that I was like reading all kinds of letters and doing a lot of that. And it's funny, too, that you mentioned like the generation before us. You know, it's, it's difficult for us and we've overcome it to a certain extent. But even like my mother's been in the States as long as I have since 1992 when we moved to the States and she still has so much anxiety with speaking English in public. For example, you know, she wants to order coffee. She'll order coffee in English at a Korean like bakery and she can do that fine. But you put her like in front of the counter at McDonald's and she cannot order a coffee for herself. And I tell her, I was like, mom, it's the same. It's the same thing. You're going to say small black coffee please. It's the same thing. But she's like, no, 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 you do it. You do it. But there's so much, I think that the same kind of, the the same kind of shame that we felt when we were younger and the looks that we got and all those things, it's no different for my parents' generation or the generations before that. There's so much of that, I think that influences the fear and the anxiety around just owning our voices. And it's interesting that you say that at, at eight years old, you knew that you had to have a voice for your family. I mean, eight years old. I mean, most kids are trying to put together, you know, blocks at eight years old. Yeah. Trying to hold our family together. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. We were in serious, serious uh, survival mode. But I mean, in the same token, it definitely made me a stronger person. It made me more resilient. I am as resourceful can be. It did push me out of the comfort zone and it did give me a life skill, right? That a lot of my friends didn't have growing up. Like I knew how to, to call the companies and set up, you know, utilities and things like that, right? Before anybody else could. So there's definitely some, some gains there, but the, the journey definitely wasn't, wasn't the easiest one. Yeah. Uh, kids of immigrant parents, we need a notary certificate right now. send us that right now and you know what this is every kid that I know that's come from a different country with their parents had to do exactly the same thing that you and I are talking about Yumi Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah everybody's struggling and was translators and nobody talks about that so our skill setting starts so early and kudos to you for winning a poetry contest and publishing a book at 11? It was like a children's book. It was a children's illustration book. And I was so proud of that. And it was, yeah, it was showcased at the Jamaica Library in New York City because that's where I was raised. Okay. So you're publishing books. You're, you, you learned English in like a couple months. Your family's, you know, notary. 
what was it about? I mean, fast forward, you know, 20 years or however long, you know, you're now a professional, right? And you're still subconsciously, like, don't think that you sound good enough. I mean, you're talking to Katie about editing, right? And you, you sounded perfect, mm-hmm. to Katie, but it wasn't perfect to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I just said, well, first of all, I need to clarify. It wasn't like, it wasn't like mass published. It, it was the, the book that we made. We made one copy, like we drew everything and we made one final copy. And that book was presented in the showcase of the library for a couple of months. So I got to make sure I clarify that. I don't have a published book. But, but maybe that, soon though, maybe soon. Yeah, maybe soon, Yumi. I think, I think you got that in your future for sure. Yeah. To answer your second question, I think we're just our own worst critics at times. And we just need to learn to be kinder to ourselves. And I think that was a lesson that I learned in that moment is to say, you know what, it's okay. It's okay. You're still, you still communicated well and people knew what we we're talking about and nobody's judging you, no. right? You don't have to prove your worth through how you say this one particular word or, or two words. It, that doesn't define me. And I think I had to kind of come to a point where I was comfortable in my own skin and I can just accept it for what it is. I may never be able to say the word important the way that I want to say it. I, I may never be able to tell the difference between saying the word like year 2020 and I have two years. Like I cannot tell those things apart. There are those nuances that I'm not sure if I'm ever going to really overcome, but that's not the point. Like I am not defined by those limitations. The most important thing is that I have learned to connect with people through words, regardless of how good they sound maybe or how proper they sound, I was able to connect with people through words. And I think that is a much more important aspect of leveraging words more effectively. Yeah. And what I'm learning is connection is much, it's, it's beyond the words. There's a deeper, like yeah. if you can't get it out, it's okay. There's a deeper connecting that next level deeper, like with our stories. I mean, the words don't have to be perfect. Sure. Right. It could be the experiences that connect us. It could be our, you know, our character mm-hmm. that connects us. For, forget the words. I mean, if the one's imperfect, who cares? And I think once we have that attitude, nobody's going to shut us up, Yubi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe they can try, though. They can they try. Can try. They, they ain't got nothing <laughs> on us, right? I've seen your LinkedIn videos. As a matter of fact, you do a really good job. The other day, I was looking at one. You talk about green screens you talk about makeup you've, you've been on um a couple other you know shows and you're so articulate what are you talking about you sound amazing thank you you know I actively proactively work on my communication skills I started that at my time at HP actually over six years ago now I think I joined Toastmasters I started out Toastmasters as a, I guess as a dare, uh, one of my coworkers said, hey, why don't you come? If you come to one of my events, I'll go to one of your events. So she ended up coming to one of my events. So I had to go to Toastmasters, which was her event. And I remember going there and just getting really uh, motivated by the challenges of public speaking. And I thought I had it all together, but then I realized there was room for me to grow. And I've been hooked into that community ever since. And so I've been a part of the officer groups there. I've done a lot of different uh, public speaking uh, engagement through through the program. And I'm an avid believer that if you want to get better at something, you've got to put the time and work into it. And so I'm still not perfect. I still have my filler words and I'm still working on it. 
but I actively, proactively find opportunities to share my story, to work on my delivery, and to be a part of a community that cares about their professional development, including communication skills. That's beautiful. I just had my coach, my speaking coach on my last podcast, Jason Levine, and he, you know, he talks to audiences of 20,000. So for him to be on my show, is like, wow, but he said exactly what you just said right now. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it does, it, it could be better, right? It definitely yeah. practices yeah. it better. Again, I think that it can't hurt. 100%. Toastmasters, like everybody's probably seen Toastmasters, especially if you're in tech or in business. Any tips mm-hmm. you can give the people that can't afford to go or are not privileged enough to go to these Toastmasters that you've learned? And from a tips perspective, I think when people think about Toastmasters, maybe the first one that they think about is the app counter. People that sit around and they count your followers. A lot of the time people get really turned off by that or they become really anxious of people just listening for your followers. And the tip that I would give is one, it's all about awareness. Just be aware of the words that you're using to fill your gaps. So that's the starting point. And the best way for you to avoid filler words in general is to take a pause, just like I did right there. I could have filled it with a um or off, or I could give myself that extra second and gather my thoughts and really look for what is that next word that I want to use that is not a meaningless filler word. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of accountability. And that's why when we come to Toastmasters, we do keep ourselves accountable by letting each other know like, hey, today you had so many ahs and ums. But it is not to make that person feel bad or make that person feel shameful. It is really all about awareness. And we also really encourage each other when we see growth because people do improve as they put effort into that. And when people, when we see that improvement, we clap for each other and we encourage each other to say, oh my gosh, you went from like 50 odds just the last couple of weeks to like 10. That's amazing. And we are able to, to clap for that and celebrate that. And so what I really appreciate about Toastmasters above and beyond the program itself is the community. It is a community of like-minded people who are not afraid to get uncomfortable, become vulnerable, do life with others and put the work into it. It's not easy and it takes incredible amounts of time and effort to make it happen. But if you've got the will and you have a goal, it is an excellent way for you to meet people and to practice your leadership and communication skills. Which can be used for anything. Anything. It anything. can be used for anything. And any communication with anybody. I mean, you'd be a better anybody with your neighbors. You'd be a better communicator with that person on the phone that you're trying to, to you know, translate with your parent. Whatever it is, it's a life skill. What was your filler word? Do you mean? I'm just curious. Oh, I have so many. My filler word changes. It's like seasonal. There are times <laughs> when my filler word is is so was my filler word for a while. And then I, I was I started with like. Like was a really bad filler word for me, so I had to really work on that. My current filler word, I guess fetish, is and. I keep using the word and at the beginning of each sentence to try to connect my thoughts. I see. And I really need to stop doing that. So <laughs> and is been my kryptonite. And now guess what? The rest of this podcast, everyone's gonna be listening for my and. They're gonna be like, there she goes with her and again. Well, they'll be listening to my you know. I hate saying that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. I hate it, but it is what it is. That's how we talk. We're getting, yes. we're not perfect, but here are speaking, right? You're speaking. Only. Exactly. It's not about perfection. It, yeah. it can't be about perfection because that is not a viable goal. And I'll tell you where I use my 
skills the most in, in real life is in my parenting and in the home. In my home, I use my communication and leadership skills a lot. Everybody wants to hear this, including me. Tell me, give me an example. <laughs> so there you go. There's a filler word. My, so my son is almost 16. He's actually turning 16 this month. He gets his driver's license in two weeks and my daughter is 13 and a half. As your children get older, it becomes ever more important that you are articulate and concise and to the point about what you want to say, because they will either find loopholes in what you said and try to get away with things. And I feel like it's all about that setting that expectations. Now, as they learn to have more responsibilities and as we learn to grow our trust in each other, as they're able to make more decisions on their own. And as we guide them through those decisions, I think that it is really, really important to lead this generation through questions and not statements. And that's something that I'm actively working on right now in my leadership skill, as well as my communication skills. For example, if I'm sitting down with my son or my daughter, and we're talking about something, and I already have in my mind where I want to take with this or what I've observed that I want to, I'm genuinely curious about what is going on on their side of the fence before I make assumptions about what I think is going on. So instead of saying, hey, I think, I think you're doing X, Y, and Z, right? I'm making an assumptive statement. I will actually take a step back and do some inquisition. And I'll say, hey, how, how are things going with this friend lately, right? Or, hey, how's it, how is your soccer team going? Do you like the way that the team is coming together? And I try to really be inquisitive about what's going on in their lives. But let's say I think they did something wrong. Instead of saying, hey, I think you did that wrong, I'll say, hey, tell me about what you did that night. Or how do you think that went down? Right? How could it have gone better? And that way, uh, and my son has actually told this to me, he's like, mom, I appreciate that you at least heard me out first before you gave me your chat, right? I mean, I still get to say what I believe is right or wrong. But as, as I ask questions and give them an opportunity to have a voice of their own, I am able to think about think of it from their perspective. I'm able to hear them out and think, you know what, I guess I didn't think about it that way. And that does make sense too. And thank you for sharing that. I can give them an opportunity to own their actions and their words. And that's been really, really transformational for, for my parenting and for my family. And my, my children appreciate that too. They appreciate the opportunity to have a voice and not have their actions, uh, I guess, summarized for them. I love that because, you know, so I have two teenagers myself and, you know, having teenagers is hard. I yes. love the idea of, well, I like this tip where everything's a question because it allows them to communicate back versus us dictate. Yes. yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And I can see it. I don't know about you. Well, you know, I, <laughs> I asked you because I needed the tip myself, but I actually can see this being very, very helpful in a work environment as well. When you're trying oh, to 100%, you know, I'm in, I'm in sales and in the sales world. And I tell this to all of our sales reps that we train up as they're early in career and their sales career. And I tell them every time I was like, yeah, you can practice the pitch. And of course you need to know what to share with the customer about what we do and how we do well. And how we do it differently. And those are all important things. But in the beginning stages of building trust with the customer, 
you have to prepare really good questions to open up the conversation because it, unless you get the customer to open up and share with you what they're looking to achieve and how they expect you to bring value, you will not be able to connect the dots between what you want to sell them or what kind of value you want to bring to what actually matters to them. Then you could have all the great things to say in terms of what we trained you to, to pitch on. But if you can't connect that to a need for the customer, then it kind of loses all meaning. And so I tell them, I was like, just as important it is for you to learn the pitch and to learn the presentations and you have to talk about what we do for our customers. It is even more important for you to learn your discovery and qualification skills that starts with all the best open-ended questions. You have to be inquisitive about the customer and you have to be able to, to dig a little bit deeper to really understand where the customer is headed and what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, I'm in sales and marketing as well. And I agree with you. It's uh, knowing what their pain points are so that we can collaborate mm-hmm. on that solution, right? Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a one way. So those were exactly. your life tips, life tips with kids from, from you that were translated <laughs> to, to work skills. Let's talk about work real quick. So you're in tech. Yeah. You're, mm-hmm. you're, uh, you're an amazing professional in tech, but you were not always in tech. You pivoted to tech. How'd you do That's that? Right. How'd you do that? Because a lot That's of people right. want to know, how do you go from this to that? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because when my first job actually as a teenager was tutoring, I started tutoring kids who just came to America from Korea. And I really saw the pain in the same pain that I went through learning a new language and getting accustomed to everything. And I just wanted to share with them like how I learned English so fast. And so I started tutoring kids uh, after school and all the weekends. And then that's how I got started. And naturally, education became just a part of something that I do and a part of who I am. I love to teach and I love to learn as well. And logically, I got my degree in education because I was going to become a teacher. I got my degree in education and I ended up being a director of a Montessori school for a little time. And I decided that this wasn't going to pay the bills. Honestly, to be to be completely frank, it wasn't going to help me uh, provide for my family. And I was the primary breadwinner at that time. And also now I'm, I'm the primary breadwinner for my whole family. And it just wasn't gonna, and it was so high stress. So it just didn't match up. The amount of stress and how much I got paid to endure that, it just didn't add up. So I ended up just, I said, I gave my notice and I took some time off to recuperate. And actually, what I did was I went to a career fair, a local college career fair. I had my resume in my hand, and then I walked around the different booths. And I went to a booth of a brand that I recognized called HP. I'm sure you know HP, too. I shook hands with the the person at the table. He actually ended up becoming my life mentor and, and close friend. And he ended up giving me my first opportunity in IT as an inside sales rep. And I clearly remember... Uh, being asked to come in for an interview. I actually met him on Tuesday, got called in to go on an interview the day after. I did a phone interview the day after that, and I got an offer on Friday. Wow. Uh, to be honest, I really didn't understand what job I signed up for. I Even if they tried to explain it to me, I probably wouldn't have been able to comprehend it because it's a whole new world that I had no experience in. What I did know, though, is that I could do it. In fact, in the panel interview, I was in a room with three male panelists and they uh, put one guy just like put his uh, pen and pencil down and he just like just paused the room and just stared at me and he said, Yumi, 
why do you think that we would hire you or we should hire you? You have no IT experience and you have no sales experience. Why should we even be having this conversation right now? And I remember saying, first of all, whatever you can do, I can do too. There's no reason why I couldn't learn whatever it is that you learned. So I believe in myself and I know that I can get that done. And second of all, I have sold. I didn't sell tech, but I absolutely have sold solutions and an offering. In fact, as the school Montessori director, I did all the site tours and my job was to convince our first-time parents, a lot of them, maybe 40 to 50-year-old parents with their first child aged like six weeks old, to trust our facility with their child. If I can do that in a one-hour time frame to get them to sign up to bring their children to our school and to keep them coming day after day, I'm talking life or death here. And so to, I know that sales is less about the product per se. It is more about trust and I can build trust. And so I'm confident that I could do this job if you give me a chance. This, and I that was it. Get two snaps. Like I'm doing two snaps, three snaps, 500 snaps because people get discouraged when they, you know, they see the job description, Yumi. And mm-hmm. it doesn't, like you said, you didn't know anything about the job description, but you knew it could do it. I mean, it wasn't rocket science. And the way that you just told me you sold it is exactly the way people need to look at these job descriptions. Don't, we don't have to have all the check marks. Yeah, yeah. In fact, people, you know, now that I'm in a situation where I'm a part of the interview panels and I hire for talent, a lot of the times I'm looking for mindset. I look for their attitude. I look for their ability to adapt and to learn because there are certain things that I can't teach. Um, and, but then there are certain things that they have to do on their own instinctively. And so skills I can teach, but mindset I cannot. So when I assess for talent, I assess for mindset, right? How do you do in these kinds of situations? Can you handle that? And that I think comes from my experience with being on the other side. That is beautiful. And what about one thing I've heard is, you know, once you're in the interview, you know, the board room or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. there for a reason they already want you so now you just have to see like you said can you do these basic skills everything else can be told but also a, like a personality fit so bring your full 100%. to the table not your practice self not your scripted self your true self right that's what we're working with 100 you know when you know your value and you're confident in who you are as a person an interview is just a conversation between two people. And just as much as they should be curious about what you bring to the table, I'm always more curious about what the company can bring to the table as well. And so I see it as a conversation. A lot of the times people will lead an interview where the interviewer is asking all the questions and then they leave you know, a little bit of time at the end for the interviewee to ask like one or two questions. Um, a lot of the interviews that if I'm the interviewee, I actually start with questions, just like I was with any sales meeting. It's like you're trying to purchase, you're trying to buy me for you. So before I can sell myself, I need to better understand what are you really looking for? What are the gaps in your business that you're trying to fill? Because now I can try to figure out if I am the, the right person for this or not. And so actually, I start with questions first. And they're, they usually get a little thrown off. They're like, oh, okay. And I ask them a couple of questions and I'm like, okay, I get that. That way I know which cards to pull out from my arsenal, as opposed to leading with a bunch of set things that may or may not resonate with the interviewer. You know what I mean? 
And so now that I know kind of what they're looking for, where their gaps are, I would then start to line up the cards in my arsenal that I know will resonate with them. And then we can save the time at the end for them, for me to ask additional questions based on where the conversation goes. So from an interview tip perspective, I would say, hey, what you bring to the table is just as important as what the company can bring to the table to you. And an interview is a time for you to see if that's a good match. Yeah. I mean, we are, that's one thing that I think not many people teach. And this is why whoever's listening to this, and we have a lot of new people that uh, are joining the workforce. So they'll get a lot of benefit from this, Yumi, is that we are mm-hmm. also, if you, if I'm the one who's uh, interviewing at the company, we are, I'm also going to be interviewing the company. Like, is it a good fit for me as well? Of I, course. It might not be. So uh, I think it's a two, two way thing. That's where your open communication comes in handy. Always. So don't always, be always have those questions, right? always, always prepare the questions that are insightful and that mean something to you. And just be your authentic self. Because if you feel like you have to be someone else to be accepted into this company, it's already not a good fit for you. You're, you can only put up that act for so long. If there are some red flags that are going on where you already feel like you can't be yourself and you, whatever's going on, you just need to be honest with that and and maybe find another opportunity too, because that's when people talk about cultural fit. That's what it is. It's a place where you can be authentically yourself and not feel like you have to put on a mask every time you log into the workplace. And that is just as important as the, the work itself that you have to do because we are at the workplace, a big portion of our, our day-to-day lives. Yeah. One of the things that I found in my career, 20 something years in, in um, the tech industry has been the companies that I've been really successful with are the ones I can be hundred percent myself with the ones I can mm-hmm. talk about my weekend with the ones I can uh, be silly with the ones I can um, whatever, but I have to be my authentic self or forget it. It's not going to work out. Exactly. It's yep. going to work out. So yeah, be on the lookout for that. And you know, I think, I think people know you right off the top if you're going to get along with that department or not. I mean, if those are the people you're interviewing with and you're like, ah, I don't get a good sense of them, then don't go. It's a waste of time. Oh, goodness. Your, your gut will tell you. Yeah. Go with your gut. And there will always be a better opportunity. Always. Always. Yeah. I, I always say rejection is a redirection, right? So if it doesn't work out, you're not meant to be there and something else that is meant to be there will be. Oh, re- rejection is redirection. I love that. Yes. Rejection is redirection. Mm -hmm. Um, I love this, Yumi. Is there anything that, so, okay. So when we started this, we're like, we're finishing each other's sentences. We didn't know where it was going. I love that we started off with our connection. We started off with Mm -hmm. the language barrier and why we we are so uncomfortable with it, you know, originally. And now look at us, we're talking. I mean, I see you everywhere. I know you're going to continue to lead and teach us because I'm learning. I learned a bunch of stuff here today, but is there any, any advice or anything I didn't ask you that you'd want people to know? I think one of the things that I would love to get out there, given the things that we talked about today is I would love to ask the people that really resonated with us with English being your second language, perhaps, or maybe, maybe it's not, maybe you work with someone where uh, English is their second language. And I would just ask that regardless of which side you're on, to just be kind either to yourself if you are the person where English is your second language or to be, or to be graceful to yourself, to ensure yourself some grace and to know that, hey, what you're going through is a lot. 
and it is very difficult. So don't undermine yourself and celebrate your victories and surround yourself with people who are willing to encourage you and help you out. If you're in the boat where English is your first language and you've got peers where you know that English is their second language, maybe send them an encouraging note. Maybe just show interest in their culture in general. Instead of saying things like, hey, I noticed your accent, which could be very offensive to the people who are working on their language. Instead of saying something like that, perhaps consider something like, you know, I noticed that you're from a different ethnicity. I would love to learn more about your culture, right? What kind of holidays are really important to your culture or whatever it might be, just show genuine interest about who that person is and what culture they're a part of holistically and not singling it out to the language itself. And also maybe ask them a couple, like ask them to teach you a couple of, uh, of words that you can use when you meet. Maybe ask them to teach you how to say hello in Korean or Chinese or, or Spanish or whatever it might be. That way you've got something that can connect you guys and get you guys in a better state. So I think that's something that I want to leave the audience with to ponder and something that you can call to action. If you are an English speaking, English as a second language person, be kind to yourself, give yourself that grace, show yourself that grace and pace yourself well and surround yourself with good people. And if you're on the other side, please show them grace, show them kindness and show genuine interest about getting to know them in a holistic way. That is beautiful. And I think that more of us need to just be curious about each other, especially here in, in California. I mean, we have so many different cultures and I love what you said about don't narrow it down to just the language, right? Like I'm Spanish speaking, but how many different cultures are there not within, you know, somebody who speaks Spanish? My husband's Colombian. We do things differently. Argentinians do things differently. And even from Mexico, yeah. different re- they do things differently. It's not a cookie cutter thing. Mm-hmm. So go to yep each other's events, you know, be open to uh, joining other networks that are don't look like you events and you'll learn from them. So, okay. So how do you say hello in Korean? 안녕하세요. 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 You see, we're learning. 안녕하세요. 안녕하세요. Yes, exactly. Okay. 안녕하세요. Mm-hmm. Now I know. Now I know. Now I you know. And you can just practice. Yes. So now this is beautiful. Because I love that you said, be kind, be kind to others, be open, because, you know, we are in an environment where it's, we don't know where people come from. Mm-hmm. We don't know mm-hmm. the background. I mean, you just explained that you came here at eight years old and didn't know the language at all. Like, we wouldn't have known that. You mean, if yeah. Yeah. we were not curious about each other, if, you know, Katie wouldn't have connected us. I mean, it's important for us to learn all of these little details, because there, there is some power mm-hmm. in the stories and the struggles. There is definitely a different level of vulnerability. And I'm very grateful to have people in my life, in the workplace, where I feel that I can be that vulnerable, to share in that way, so that they can get me connected to other like-minded people um, that she knows will resonate, the message will resonate with. So I'm really grateful to be in that kind of situation where I have that kind of network and and friends all around and friends vulnerability vulnerability is a superpower i say 100 percent. it's a gift it really really is a gift and it is very very powerful and we need to do it justice (laughs) let's do it justice Yumi, thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate everything that you're doing and more importantly i am very grateful that you were so open with me about 
you're growing up and your um, all your pivots and your your teachings as far as being a leader, everybody's going to learn a lot from this. Thank you, Yumi. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I look forward to more content from you. And this is my first podcast. So now we can get what? that off the list. I'm really excited to be a part of that. <laughs> I am so excited that you are. So, um, okay, I'm going to hang up right now and I'll talk to you a little later. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Martha. See ya. Bye, Yumi. This is Moments with Martha. Peace and love, everyone. Adios. Peace.